Hi, I'm Panicky in the UK, and this is Panicky Pictures. Yeah, So, a couple of episodes ago, um, I was recording in a room without a desk in it, so I ended up getting quite a lot of mic handling noise. So then, uh, last episode, I decided that I would record in a room with a desk in it. Um, but that room is the room that overlooks some train tracks and is also where my ferrets have their water bottle. So, ended up with some weird background noise. Um, so we'll just have to see if the third bowl of porridge is just right, uh, or if I have to keep trying new things. Uh, we'll see how this one sounds. Um, but, uh, the good news is that I don't have a fever this time. Um, I'm not saying that that will necessarily improve the quality of the content, but, you know, it's good news for me, at the very least. Anyway, this episode is all about Showgirls. Uh, Showgirls had its premiere, or premiere, as I would say, um, (laughs) don't know why I said premiere, like I'm an American, uh, guess I just, I'm not used to talking out loud these days. Don't really know how to say things anymore. Anyway, um, so it had its premiere 25 years ago to the very night. Um, what exciting news. So I've been planning to do a Showgirls episode for a while. Um, doing, uh, and I'm thinking of ending things episode last week kind of, um, threw my schedule off a little bit, but I really wanted to get this episode out today to celebrate the anniversary uh because i'm a big showgirls fan and you should be too so uh let's get into it um so prior to watching showgirls i think the verhoeven films i'd seen and just throughout this episode i'm going to be saying verhoeven because that is how i have heard people who worked with him pronounce it um I did look it up a while ago, and I believe that the uh, pronunciation would be Verhoeven, um, technically, but it seems as though he's anglicised it. That's Verhoeven is what people know him as, so that's what I'm going to be using. Um, But, you know, uh, if you feel like that's the wrong way to go, then uh, at me. You know, we can talk about it. Uh, So anyway, Verhoeven. Um, I think the first thing I ever saw of his was Starship Troopers as a kid. Um, possibly not the whole thing. I think I kind of half watched it on TV. Probably my dad was watching it and I was in and out or something like that. Um, and I felt like I didn't really get it. But then subsequently I heard people talking about it and I thought, oh, maybe I was just too young to really pick up on the subtext and you know I should watch it again and maybe I'll appreciate it more this time and I think I have again sort of half watched it subsequently and still not really been on board with it and I think that the issue I have there is with Newmyer um so I watched Robocop uh, either last year or the year before, fairly recently for the first time, which is again Verhoeven uh, directing a Newmyer script. And for me, there's just something about Newmyer's approach to satire that I find it difficult to connect with in some way. Um, 
I don't know why, I can't quite put my finger on it, um, but yeah, there's just something about his approach that doesn't quite work for me. So the second uh, Verhoeven film that I ever saw would have been Basic Instinct, which I saw at university, um, somewhat under the influence, and it completely blew my mind. I had the best time watching it. Um, <laughs> possibly read more into it than is actually there, but I thought it was an absolute work of genius. Uh, completely loved it. Um, still do. Uh, I think it's it's a really interesting movie. And of course that is Esterhaz, uh, Joe Esterhaz, who also wrote the script for Showgirls. So Showgirls then would have been the third Verhoeven that I ever saw, bearing in mind I saw Robocop more recently. And um, I'd always heard that Showgirls was an absolute flop, total nightmare, not worth paying any attention to. I don't think I ever would have sought it out. My memory is that it showed up at probably 1 or 2 a.m. on either Film 4 or Film 4 plus 1 um, on a day, on a night in my early 20s when uh, I just happened to be awake. I usually am at that time. Um, I basically don't sleep. So um, I was just channel hopping, I think, and came across the very beginning of Showgirls, not actually knowing what it was and was immediately hooked, which is kind of the same thing that happened to me with Midnight Run, where my expectations for Midnight Run, and I talked about this in my Midnight Run episode, were that it was a kind of middle-aged guy's movie, kind of mediocre actioner, and for Showgirls my expectations would have been even lower, but because I happened upon it by chance and didn't know what it was and was immediately drawn in, um, I kind of had my initial reaction to it without all of that baggage, which I think really helped. Um, so that was my first experience watching Showgirls, and I was just totally blown away that that was what this film was. It was completely different to everything that I'd been told about it. It was so much more interesting um, and more competent. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are things that don't work in Showgirls, um, but it was, it was just not at all what I had been led to expect. And since then, um, I've seen it at least two or three times. Um, I've shown it to people. I went to an interactive screening in Manchester, which was very fun. Uh, and then recently I saw it again uh, for this episode. So that's at least four times that I've seen it. Um, possibly, possibly more. Um, but certainly at least four times. Um, and for me, it really holds up every time. Um, I would say maybe that the most recent watch, um, possibly I got slightly less pleasure out of, I think just because I was kind of watching it more out of a sense of obligation and not that long after I'd seen it, um, I started in April of 2019, um, so a bit more than a year, but still... Uh, probably sooner than I would have waited if I if I hadn't wanted to rewatch it for this episode. Um, and what I'm finding this year, and I don't know if this is about getting older or if it's just a quality of this year in particular and where my head's at and what's going on, I'm finding that movies that I'm rewatching this year that previously I've watched many many times and enjoyed just as much every single time. This year, I'm just um, not getting the same 
uh, amount of joy out of them. Um, and that goes right back to the beginning of the year. I rewatched When Harry Met Sally, which is one of my favourite films and one that I've watched over and over again. I watched it for New Year's, because obviously the film kind of ends at New Year's, so I always think of it as a New Year's film. Um, and, you know, I still think it's great, but I just wasn't getting the same amount of joy out of it as I usually get. And I've had that experience again a couple of times this year, so... Uh, so I don't know what that's about, but um, for whatever reason, um, yeah, I'm rewatching things just isn't bringing me the same amount of kind of comfort that it usually does this year. Uh, but um, that's a me problem. Uh, that's not an issue with the films themselves. Um, but yeah, so ideally, I probably would have waited um, a little bit longer before rewatching it. But it's still great. It's still really involving. And uh, the one uh, Verhoeven film I've seen which I haven't mentioned yet is Elle, uh, which I saw when it was out in cinemas. And I really like Elle. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really challenging. I think it's Verhoeven kind of returning to a lot of the ideas around violence towards women, sexual violence, um, the kind of... Uh, complexity of how sexuality can manifest itself and and the way that um it can interact with violence um and just generally his kind of approach to gender and sexual politics i thought it was really interesting it wasn't my favorite of his films which is probably still basic instinct with showgirls a close second but um i i did think that that it was a fascinating film um, and so for me, you know, I think that when Verhoeven is working in that register, the more kind of erotic thriller um, type genre, rather than his more kind of sci-fi inflected satires, that's when he really works for me. And I think part of that is Esther has, although obviously he didn't work on Elle. Um, but I think that's just for me the register that works for me with Verhoeven in general which is interesting of course because Verhoeven himself has a reputation for not treating women very well um so you know it's kind of like he's satirizing attitudes and behaviors that he himself is guilty of um and when we have discussions about um depiction not being endorsement which is absolutely something that i agree with i also think we need to consider the fact that often the people who do depict certain things in a way that appears to be satirical or a deconstruction often it does reflect on their own behavior and things that they themselves are guilty of so i think that there's some complexity and some nuance there um which but probably outside the scope of this episode to dig into that um but i just think it's interesting and something to kind of keep in mind so having spoken a bit about um Verhoeven and generally my experience of his movies I do by the way want to fill in a lot of those blanks particularly his English language stuff um Black Book and Total Recall are two in particular that I'm very keen to see Hollow Man maybe less so um 
and then his non-English language stuff. If I can get hold of it, I'd be interested in seeing it. But um, but yeah, Black Book and Total Recall are the two that I'm uh, really keen to get my hands on and have a watch of. But as it stands, I've only seen those five Verhoevens. So anyway, having spoken a little bit about Verhoeven in general, um, I do want to briefly talk about my experience seeing Showgirls in Manchester, um, which was last year, April of 2019 very fun interactive screening um at a casino themed cocktails uh drag performers pole dancers um it was a great time um i went to manchester especially which was not my first time in manchester actually but the first time i'd really had uh plenty of time to explore um manchester's a great city i'd love to go back there um, I took a coach both ways in one day, which was stressful, um, but it was worth it. Um, it was a really good experience. Um, but I do want to talk about the way that the film was framed in that screening. Um, and I will just say, because I'm going to get into this a little bit, um, that Showgirls does have a depiction of... Um, sexual violence uh, which is very upsetting and I'm going to be talking about that a little bit so if that's going to be something that you would prefer not to listen to um, then probably uh, this episode may not be the best thing for you Um, I'm probably going to return to that topic a couple of times um, uh, but in general uh, yeah that may be something that I'm talking about a little bit Um, so the, the first thing that I want to say about the way that the film was kind of framed and referred to uh, in that Manchester screening is that it was very much being embraced as a kind of camp classic and potentially an unintentionally camp classic, which is not really a reading that I subscribe to. So it was being talked about as something that had been reclaimed by queer people, whereas... For me, my enjoyment of Showgirls is very much on its own terms. So I I kind of felt like I was a little bit out of step with most of the people who were there who were maybe kind of appreciating it more ironically. Um, The first thing I ever saw um, that wasn't kind of from my immediate group of friends that uh, really took Showgirls seriously um, was a review in uh, Slant magazine from 2004 by Eric Henderson. Um, I'll link to that in the show description. I don't know that I completely agree with Henderson's analysis of the film, but when I first read it, it was really refreshing to see somebody take this film seriously and not just kind of dismiss it as camp or so bad it's good. Um, And I think that that reading of the film has become increasingly common, by which I mean the reading of the film which doesn't dismiss it as camp or ironically enjoyable or so bad it's good. But that was the first that I ever saw. But as I say, I think that more and more people are kind of coming around to that idea. Um, There's a review by Mike Kennedy on Letterboxd, which I like. Um, You can find that Uh, If you go to my letterbox, which is always linked in the description, um, and you find my um, original write-up for Showgirls from April 2019, 
Um, there's a lot more detail about my experience in Manchester, and you can also see which reviews I've liked, one of which is the one by Mike Kennedy. Anyway, I, I think that, that this kind of attitude towards the film, this slightly more serious attitude towards it, um, is becoming more mainstream. But I think that when this slant review was originally written, um, it was very much the minority opinion. By the time I read it, which was probably 10 years after it was originally written, it still felt like a minority view. But now it seems like Showgirls is being reassessed more and more. There was a documentary, You Don't Know Me, that came out this year, which I still haven't seen. I really wanted to see it before this episode, but I didn't get around to it, um, and I'm sorry about that. Um, and there's also another Showgirls documentary, uh, which I think is due out either this year or early next year, which I believe is called Goddess, um, which I'm really also really interested in seeing. And again, um, I think that these are kind of reassessments of showgirls, um, analyses that go beyond this kind of so bad it's good camp classic attitude. So the second thing that I want to bring up, and again, I went into this in my letterboxd review, which uh, you can read for a bit more detail, but... Um, when I saw it in Manchester, in the interactive screening, they skipped over the rape scene, which I think was the right choice for that setting, because obviously we were there to have fun, drink a lot, you know, um, it's a really brutal scene, and not really appropriate, I think, for the tone that they wanted to achieve at that event. So I completely understand that choice, and I think it was the right choice. However, I do also think that that particular scene is key um, to really understanding and appreciating the film. Because I think that the important thing about this film is just how much its target is the violence inherent in toxic masculinity. Um, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I think that it's really interesting that people were much more willing to get on board with Verhoeven's excessive style um, when he was telling stories from a male point of view where the target of his satire was less toxic masculinity and more um, various other systems of power like capitalism, like the military. Um, in basic instinct, I don't quite know what exactly you would call um, the target of its satire. Maybe I need to go back to that film um, and make a decision about that. But still, Basic Instinct is from a male point of view. Um, and I think that that's more palatable to people. It was more palatable to mainstream reviewers at the time, you know. Um, and I think Showgirls, here you have a story that is from a female point of view um, that's very queer. And yes, Basic Instinct is also queer, but... Uh, it privileges um, a mixed gender relationship and it's from a male point of view, right? Um, Showgirls um, puts much more of a premium, I think, on relationships between women, ultimately, because those are the relationships in the end um, which are ultimately most important to Nomi. If you watch that third act, 
Um, it's her relationships with Molly and with Crystal that end up getting that kind of resolution and end up being the most important in the film. And every single relationship that she has with a man ends with some kind of betrayal. And it's so interesting the way that each of these men is introduced as if he might be her saviour or somebody who will help her to advance, right? So we have the guy that she uh, gets a ride from at the very beginning of the film. Um, He says he's going to help her. He says that he might be able to get her a job in Vegas. And then he steals from her. It's all a lie. Um, And then we have her relationship with this guy who's a choreographer, And, you know, he's going to put her in his dance piece. But then he betrays her and it turns out that he was lying to her, right? And then we have the Karl McLaughlin character who, again, seems like he's on her side. He's an ally. He's a saviour. But actually, he betrays her and he's lying. And it's her relationships with women which are much more honest um, on the whole and much more meaningful And we don't see that betrayal from women in quite the same way. Obviously, there's betrayal between Nomi and Crystal. That's kind of key to their dynamic. But I think that there's just a lot more honesty in the way that they interact with one another. They know where they are with each other. Even as that dynamic shifts, it's a negotiation where they both have all the pieces of the puzzle nobody's really holding anything back um so even though it's still a rivalry it's much more honest than her relationships with any of those men and her relationship with molly is by far the kind of most genuine in the film and it's on molly's behalf that she uh, ends up kind of turning her back on Vegas, because remember, she's got what she wants at this point in the film. She's a star, um, everything has turned out right for her. There's no need for her to turn her back on that and to leave Vegas. It would be very easy for her to convince Molly to take a payoff, to stay where she is and to be successful. Um, But... Because of her feelings for Molly, um, because that is the kind of purest relationship that she has and the one that's the most built on trust, she decides to turn her back on that corruption. That's when she becomes um, disenchanted by it. So this is kind of my roundabout way of saying, I guess, that I think that the depiction of Molly's rape, bearing in mind that Molly is the least amoral character in the film, the least sexualized character in the film, um, and the character who is the most genuine in her friendship with Nomi, I think it's really significant that it's she who who is the target of this sexual violence. Um, I do think that there's potentially a kind of valid criticism to be made of the fact that Molly is um, one of the few black characters in the movie, um, one of only a couple of black women, and she is the one who is subjected to this. I think that that's complicated because, as I say, I think that she's the most genuine 
um, and moral character in the film. And I think that that's a big part of the reason why she ends up being the target of that. But also what you have is a black woman uh, being subjected to sexual violence for the benefit of a white woman's story. Um, And I think that it would be a valid criticism of the film to say that, you know, that's a poor choice. But at the same time, I think that that scene and the brutality of its depiction is kind of core to the film because it is so shocking and because it does really confront both the viewer and Nomi with the reality of of the corruption um, in Vegas and what that ends up enabling and how essentially a woman can never really win when the system is dominated in this way by men, that a woman can only really succeed in being a more valuable commodity, um, but she can never really have true power over herself. I think that that's kind of the message of the film, essentially, and, and certainly what that scene helps to reinforce. So anyway, as I've said, um, you can see a more uh, detailed write-up of my experience watching Showgirls in Manchester uh, on Letterboxd, um, but I want to finish off uh, just by kind of talking about some of my observations from my most recent watch of Showgirls. Uh, so I'm just going to go through my notes basically in chronological order. Um, I'll try to keep it snappy, but uh, yeah, this is me we're talking about, so we'll see how it goes. Um, so the first thing I wanted to mention is there's an article that I read not too long ago about character introductions and screenplays, and it actually pointed out that um, Nomi's introduction in Showgirls uh, is actually one of the less sexualized examples uh, of women being introduced, which is really interesting. One thing I think that is really interesting about Nomi is the fact that she chose her own name, which I think really resonates, and I have no idea whether Esther has or um, Verhoeven would have any idea about this, but to me it really kind of resonates with queerness. I think that a lot of queer people, trans people certainly, but uh, you know, all kinds of queer people I think often kind of rename themselves or struggle with their names um, and with their identities. Um, so I think that's really interesting in a film that kind of deals with with queerness. Um, and of course also there's an element of performance about that, of, of uh, having a stage name, which you also see reflected of course with Crystal. Um, who also changed her name. And I mean, you know, this is a kind of Star is Born story, and it's so common for stars to be renamed by studios. So I think all those things are going on. Uh, but uh, but I just don't, I, I think that's really interesting. And I believe that there's quite a lot of discussion about Nomi's name in You Don't Know Me, uh, which again, I really want to watch. I will get around to it soon, I hope. Uh, maybe I'll even do a bonus episode. Who knows? Um, but anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Um, again, so the, the guy that she hitches a ride with says, uh, <laughs> am I going to try and do the voice? What? Ain't anybody ever been nice to you? 
something like that. So again, it's it's kind of like men initially uh, presenting um, as being, you know, allies um, or potential ways forward, but then they always betray her. And I believe it's the same guy who says sooner or later you're going to have to sell it, uh, which kind of feeds into this attitude towards sex work that runs throughout the movie. And even Molly, who's kind of the film's moral centre, when she f- first meets Nomi, she says, you're not a hooker, are you? Um which I think is really interesting. So I don't think that this movie is anti-sex work, um, but it does depict that attitude. Certainly the sex work that is depicted in the film um, makes it seem very sleazy. I think that's more about the fact that it's male-dominated and that the women have no real power. Um, You know, they're very exploited. Um, And I think that's about the way that the uh, system is set up more than it is about sex work in and of itself. But I'd be interested to hear other perspectives on that, particularly from sex workers. But I think that the, certainly there's a depiction here of a hierarchy, which is essentially this idea that certain forms of sex work are more socially acceptable or respectable than others. So Nomi is constantly saying that she's not a whore. And other people are telling her that she basically is. Um, and of course, by the end of the film, um, you discover that she she was a full-service sex worker previously, which is why she's kind of running from that label and rejecting it so much. Um, because I think the subtext is that there's a lot of trauma attached to that for her. So I think it's a really interesting kind of depiction of those attitudes. But yeah, that kind of anti-sex work um, attitude uh, really runs through the film, both uh, coming from Nomi and coming from those around her. I think it's also interesting that um, class and gender, the, the way that class certainly uh, comes into play in this film is very different from something like Basic Instinct, which I think otherwise has a fair amount in common with this film in terms of its kind of preoccupations. Um, Basic Instinct, of course, has a female villain, I would say that Showgirls sets up a woman as the antagonist, but the true villains are the men. Um, of course, Nomi herself is is very much an anti-hero. Um, but I think that Showgirls is kind of more complex than that. Even though I like Basic Instinct more as a film, um, I think that, again, part of the reason why maybe it's more palatable to people is because it has a female villain. Uh, whereas, as I say, um, in Showgirls, the villains are men, um, arguably. But also class, I think, is so important. I mean, Basic Instinct is all about wealth. Uh, very wealthy people with a lot of privilege. Showgirls is not about that. It's a, it's about people who are on the first rung of the ladder uh, trying to find a way up. And uh, we'll return to that imagery later. But I think also... Um, you know, there's a kind of sense of queerness from the very beginning. I think not only in the relationship between Nomi and Crystal, but I think also maybe there's a suggestion of that in her dynamic with Molly. Um, Molly um, is straight. I think that's quite clear. But I wonder if there's a suggestion that Nomi may have some attraction towards her. Certainly that's something that um, Molly brings up. I can't remember the exact line. Um, but I think she kind of says, like, I'm not a lesbian, by the way, or something like that, because maybe there is a kind of sense that possibly Nomi is attracted to her. I don't know. Um, 
I'm not very confident in that reading, but I think it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I think the first time that you see the goddess show backstage, um, I think that's very cool. You don't see the show first, you see the behind the scenes stuff first. You see all the hard work that goes into it. So I think that's interesting. Instead of kind of mystifying it and then demystifying it by having Nomi work there and be backstage, actually Nomi's first introduction to it is this kind of demystification of the whole thing. I think that's really interesting. It's such a choice. Um, and I think also in this scene, there's a foreshadowing of um, this idea of people falling down the stairs, which is going to come up later. Um, and I think this is also where you're introduced to Crystal, but you see her on stage before you see her behind the scenes. So although you see behind the scenes of the show, um, before you see the show, for Crystal, it's the other way around. You know, she's mystified. And then I think even when you see her backstage, she's still so kind of cool and calm and collected that it doesn't demystify her. I think that doesn't happen until the very end. And, uh, oh, there's a very funny moment um, when she has some flowers oh no somebody bustles past Nomi with some flowers and she gets hit by them I don't think I'd ever picked up on that moment before it's just like a little moment of physical comedy that I just thought was funny and again you have this approach to sex work um Crystal says to it if it's at the cheetah it ain't dancing so again it's kind of other people perceiving Nomi as a sex worker even though she is desperate to escape that Oh, there's something really interesting about the character of James, their introduction. Right from the very beginning, you see him saying she thinks she can dance. So I think you know right from the start that he's going to kind of flatter her and he's going to be a little bit disingenuous. I think that it's kind of a matter of opinion just how disingenuous James is being. I think you can read him as somebody who exclusively tells her what she wants to hear and is basically lying the whole time just to get her into bed. I think there's also a reading available that actually he does care about her and he does think that she may have some raw talent. Um, I kind of think you can read it either way. I think that's interesting. I'd be interested to hear what other people think. And again, uh, you're getting the toxic masculinity. I think less so in your first introduction to James. I think that only really starts to come through a little bit later. And even then, I think James is kind of the least worst um, <laughs> of the men in the film, probably. Um, but certainly at the Cheetah Club, you know, there's definitely this really, like, sleazy, exploitative attitude. Um, and yet, I think the Cheetah ends up feeling a lot more wholesome um, than uh, when Nomi goes on to do Goddess. Goddess is more slick, um, it's more respectable, but it's also more kind of fundamentally broken, and the corruption of it is more insidious. Um, so I think that's interesting. Um, I love Henrietta, by the way, who's um, kind of the, uh, I don't know, like the um, the MC, I guess, at the Cheetah Club. She kind of comes in between acts and um, does this kind of vaudeville stuff. She's one of my favourite characters. I think she's fantastic. I also noticed that um, Crystal engineers everything between Carl McLaughlin and Nomi right from the beginning, which maybe seems obvious, but I think the fact that Crystal is kind of the architect of that and it's actually coming from feminine desire uh, is really interesting. 
Um, and I think I also picked up so much more on the clues that Karma Cluckland was a total villain right from the start this time around. Um, there's a particular phone call that's really crucial after Nomi does this car show that she complains about uh, kind of being pressured into having sex for money. Um, and Karma Cluckland kind of chews out the guy. And then he has a phone call with him um, where it's made clear that, you know, it was all an act. And I think that I actually missed that in previous watches. To be fair, my um, most recent previous watch, the one in Manchester, I was very drunk on cocktails. So um, <laughs> it's probably no surprise that I uh, missed some details there. So I think that the interesting thing also about that is that Nomi's opportunities come out of desire either from Crystal or from James or from Carl McLaughlin, who I am just going to call Carl McLaughlin the whole time because I can't remember the character name. Um, they all desire her and that desire is much more important than her talent or lack of it. Um, so again, you know, I think there's this um, kind of interesting commentary on the objectification of women, of what women are valued for, um, which is how desirable they are rather than how talented they are often. Um, I've made a note of um, a Henrietta line in one of her songs that goes, show me a home where the buffalo roam and I'll show you a home full of shit, uh, which I think is a great line and I think also really feeds into the sense that this movie is a deconstruction of the American dream, right? So uh, that that's another thing that I only picked up on uh, on this watch. Um, I watched this not long after re-watching Mulholland Drive um, and uh, that was really interesting. Um, I think that Lynch was, well, for one thing, Lynch cast um, the actor who played Penny, uh, which is a small role in Showgirls. She was also in um, Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven, which I haven't seen, unfortunately. Uh, but she also has a small role as a sex worker in Mulholland Drive. So I think that Lynch was intentionally kind of invoking this film. And the audition scene in Mulholland Drive kind of reminds me of the audition scene here. I think the audition scene in Showgirls is maybe um, invoking a chorus line. Uh, I'm not familiar enough with the chorus line to be sure about that, but I think there's there's something there. Um, and I, again, I hadn't really noticed that um, that Nomi is kind of constructed in the first part of this movie as an innocent. You know, she goes to the audition and she's not as sexed up as the others, and she has to change her clothes and she has to be comfortable icing her nipples. You know, and I think. If there's a major misstep in the film, I think it's that that kind of physical transformation isn't as clear as it maybe needs to be. That her kind of innocence at the beginning, that she's a kind of ingenue, that maybe isn't made clear enough. Um, and also the sex scene in the water, obviously. But what I will say about the pool sex scene is that if you watch it out of context, as I did, it looks worse than it is in the context of the film because it is a callback to an earlier scene. It's still not great, you know, it still kind of lets the film down I think, but it's not as bad as it looks out of context. What else? Oh, you can fuck me when you love me, she says to James. I think that's really telling about her as a character and again her kind of rejection of um, like transactional sex. Um, 
I love it when she says Versace. That's such a great scene. Um, <laughs> I love that somebody shouts monkey alert at one point in this movie. I don't uh, love that there are chimps in the movie. I don't like it when monkeys and apes are used as actors. I just think it's um, cruel, but you know. Uh, some of my favourite things have monkeys and apes in them. Uh, you know, it was a different time and people are still putting monkeys and apes in certain things. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, here's another thing about the way that um, kind of uh, Vega stardom is related to sex work. Um, Nomi says of Karma McLaughlin, he's the, he's the entertainment director. And James replies, that's exactly what I said. He's a pimp. So again, even when she escapes the Cheetah Club, which everybody has been telling her is basically sex work, and when she gets to Goddess, which is supposedly more respectable, even then, she's still being told that what she's doing is basically sex work. Um, which, you know, I, I think that that's essentially true. Um, but it's it's so tragic because she's so desperate to escape that aspect of her past. There's a line... It's amazing what paint and a surgeon can do. And again, I think that that feeds into this idea of self-creation, um, you know, creating your own identity, crafting your own image in a way that I think is very queer. Um, there's a line, maybe you are a whore, Crystal, but I'm not. So again, Nomi so desperate to reject that part of her history. Oh yeah, I did want to mention the kind of anti-Asian racism that I think there is in this film. Um, there aren't a lot of Asian characters and when they do appear they're like Japanese businessmen and you know it's like that archetype that trope of the Japanese businessman who wants a pretty girl to fuck right so I think that there's uh, again you know maybe a kind of racial aspect that needs examination there um, okay so Al the guy at the cheetah club I actually think that he may be the least terrible guy in the movie because he's the least hypocritical. And I think when he's kind of reintroduced to her near the end of the film and you have the chance to, um, you know, weigh him up against characters like Carl McLachlan, you kind of see that actually he's the lesser of two evils in that sense. He also has a very funny line, must be weird not having anybody come on you, which I think is good. Um... So I've mentioned uh, that I, I, I feel I've leaped ahead a little bit, leaped, leapt, anyway, um, on uh, Nomi and how I feel like her kind of construction as an ingenue isn't clear enough in the early parts of the movie. So at one point she's referred to as Pollyanna and I, I just don't think that comes across kind of in her styling and her physicality, um, unfortunately, because I think that that would maybe elevate the movie a little bit. Um, I've said before, we've got the sex scene, it's a callback to the lap dance. It's not the best scene in the movie, but it's better than you might think it is if you've only seen the sex scene on YouTube uh, without seeing the rest of the movie. Oh, here's a great line from Carl McLaughlin about him fucking know me. Does that piss you off because you're jealous, Chris, or because I beat you to the punch? So great. Um... That, again, this dynamic between Crystal and Nomi is, is so crunchy. Um, I, I really love it. Um, and again, uh, again, I haven't mentioned this yet. All About Eve. All About Eve is very much in the DNA of this film. 
Um, and I think I kind of intellectually knew that, but it only really struck me how much that's true on this viewing. I've only got a few more. I'm nearly done. Um, there's very much this sense of kind of men closing ranks um, about sex crimes at the very end of this film, which I think is just such a smart observation is that, like, you know, Carl McLachlan, as much as he's determined to appear like a good guy to know me, um, you know, he's he's going to defend his friend, even though he knows that his friend is a fucking violent rapist and he's seen him put somebody in the hospital. Um, you know, he's, he's going to defend that guy. Um, and I think that that is, I don't want to say prescient, because obviously that stuff was already going on in Hollywood, but I think that maybe we can see that commentary for what it is more clearly now, post-2017, knowing now what we know about just how much people were turning a blind eye to uh, sexual violence in Hollywood. So I think that's really interesting. Uh, my favourite line in the movie, there's always someone younger and hungrier coming down the stairs after you. Um, just absolutely love it. I love that whole final scene between Nomi and Crystal. Um, I think it's so gorgeous. Um, and again, best line in the movie for me. And then at the very end, of course, it all comes around full circle. Uh, Nomi leaving Vegas, hitching a ride. It's the same guy who stole her luggage right at the beginning. And now she's heading to Hollywood to repeat the same cycle all over again. So... <laughs> That took longer than I meant it to, I'm sorry, but uh, that's uh, that's everything that I thought about while I was watching Showgirls again, uh, most recently. Alright, I think we should leave it there, um, if I want to try and get this uh, thing kind of vaguely edited together and up, um, more or less, uh, on the right day. Um, I do just want to say, because I, I did say that uh, Neumeyer's scripts don't really work for me. I do just want to quickly mention that although maybe his writing doesn't resonate with me so much, um, I heard an interview with him on Harmontown. He seemed like a really great guy, really interesting, really intelligent. Uh, I got no beef with the guy, not that he would care, but uh, just to say I got no beef with the guy personally. Um, I think he seems great. It's just maybe an approach or a sensibility that just doesn't quite connect with me. Or maybe it's when he's working with Verhoeven, something about that combo. I don't know, but mm, that's all I can say about it. Uh, Alright, now my next episode, um, if all goes to plan, will be on the 4th of October. It will be about the film Kicking and Screaming. Uh, let's see if that ends up happening. Fingers crossed. Um, Alright, uh... As always, you can follow me at Panicky Pictures on Twitter, Panicky in the UK on Letterboxd. Links are in the description. And don't forget, I used to love Doggy Chow.